Welcome to the 12 Pound Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Morier. The goal of this podcast is to help you manage through life's changes, uh, through shared stories and experiences. Uh, as some of you may remember, about a year ago, uh, we introduced you to our 12 by 20 series. That's where we interviewed uh, people who were experiencing changes in their life, and we wanted to share those stories with you. Uh, one of those guests is here with me today, Salve Imstal, uh, who we're very excited to introduce and reintroduce to you for the second time uh, to our audience. Uh, and you were one of the first guests to join me on the 12 by 20 podcast, so we were very excited about that. And once again, you and your rowing partner, Lainey Tierney, who's also here with me, uh, are preparing for the World Rowing Championships that are coming up this September in Serbia. So congratulations. Thank you, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having us. We're in Penn AC's Rowing Club. This is where you're rowing now. So another change you were going through, you had just gone through a change, a, boat, a boathouse change last time we spoke. Yep, I was over at Vesper Boat Club, and now I'm at uh, this one, Penn AC. Okay, so how's it going so far? It's beautiful. Yeah. A lot of trophies. Are any of these trophies yours? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. All right, good. Well, we hope for all of you and you and everyone listening that some end up being yours. So we wish you the best of luck. Thanks. Um, so welcome back to the show. And Lainey, welcome for the first time. It's really nice to meet you. And Thank you. you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, a lot has happened since we last caught up with you. Um, most importantly, as it relates to your rowing careers, you did take home the silver medal last, uh, last September. And congratulations for that. That was really exciting for all of us, because we had just interviewed just uh, you about a month and a half before that. So, yep, yep. That was nice to go and put in all that hard work and then come back with a medal. Yeah. Do that together. Where's yeah. the medal now? I have a little stand in my living room that it's on with a picture of both of us hugging. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Lainey, where's yours? I think it's hanging on my railing on my stairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hopefully, maybe we should bring those here to get them yeah. off the railing of the stairs. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's really exciting. So, did you know when after you had um, you know come back from last year's world championship that you were going to get right back to it and try to do it again? I don't think so. We just kind of took some time off to reset, and then we talked about it and decided to continue running together. What was that conversation like? I think it had to do like with the selection procedures that came out. Um, also, just like feel like having a few months to yourself and then uh, regrouping, be able to like look past um, or like look back a little farther away from what had just happened and realizing that we wanted it to do it, do it again. So I think just having that time and then coming together, being like, that was really fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> so when you decide to come back together, what's that process like? Do you, you, you're at Penn AC at that point. Do you, yeah, do you have a, a training regiment that you kind of know that you're going to put into place or do you have to get all of the support cast in place as well to, to get ready? Um, our team took time off and then we talked about it individually and we talked about it with our coach, discussed it with our coach, and then we made a plan and then started training for it. That's great. Well, good. Well, congratulations. So maybe we can start from the beginning. We didn't do this last time because we mm -hmm. only had 20 minutes. So I yeah. kept it very fast. I was asking you what time you woke up in the morning. Yeah. So <laughs> why don't we take it a step back? We, we had a little bit of your background last time. We're still going to ask you again. But Lainey, um, how did you first get involved in rowing and what drew you to the women's pair specifically? Well, both my parents met rowing. So I grew up just like going to races and stuff since my dad still rowed. Um, they never pushed it on me, but then tried some other sports, didn't work out, did a rowing camp, and then just never really stopped rowing. <laughs> so that's how I got into it. And then the pair specifically, um, it did help that collegiate rowing is all sweep rowing. So then um, going to lightweight rowing after college really helped 
make the decision to do the lightweight pair with Solvay and also knowing that Solvay was in Philly and that we um, liked rowing together. <laughs> so, yeah. For our audience, can you explain the difference between sweeping and sculling? Yeah. So sweep, you just have one oar. It's usually bigger boats, mainly um, that's all collegiate racing. And then sculling, each person has two oars. Um, and yeah, it's basically like all levels of rowing. I feel like do sculling. Are your parents <laughs> still rowing? Uh, my dad does a little bit. My mom, not so much. She's gotten more into the running, but that's yeah. good. <laughs> so you grew up with it. Do you have any siblings? Uh, yes, I have a brother and a sister. Okay. So. Are they rowers as well? My sister is, but she she's older than me, but she actually started rowing after me. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys row at the same school, like Salve and her twin sister? Uh, no, actually, my sister started rowing after college, so okay. she got into a bit later, but that was fun. A later bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's exciting. Uh, but she's good, yeah. And then I went to Temple, so. <laughs> that's right. So here in Philadelphia. Yeah. But you did not go to Temple, and you do wake up at 5.04 a.m. Is that still the case? Um, now it's more like five thirty. It's a little oh, later. you do. Yeah. So you you've extended it out. <laughs> yeah. What was uh, that's a big change. So what uh, what prompted that? Um, we don't start practice until seven fifteen. I think last time we talked, we had an earlier practice time. So I usually like to be awake ninety minutes before practice starts. And is your sister rowing anymore? Have you gotten her back in the boat? Your twin? Uh, no. No, no, still not. She hasn't rowed since graduation. So she just lives vicariously through you. Yeah, we both do. <laughs> that's good. That's a good way to do it. I know. Last time we. Uh, we spoke, you said she was your biggest fan. So yep. it was nice to hear that. I yep. heard from a lot of our listeners who love that. And She's actually coming to Worlds and so is Lainey's sister. They're both coming to watch oh, us that's in Serbia. Wonderful. In Serbia? Yeah. Oh, that sounds great that you're going to have them. So I'm just curious, kind of taking it back to the sport itself. What's unique about the pair? Are you, you, I know training, you'll get in a single skull. Um, you both rode in, I think in quads, four and, and eights potentially, right? In tempo and it. At school for you, so yeah, I did um, eights and fours in college, and then when I moved here, I was mostly in the single. Um, and then I started doing the pair in 2019 with Liz when we were training for the Pan American Games, and I think that's where I really fell in love with the pair because um, it's a mix of small boat, but then you also have the aspect of teamwork in there because you're basically it's basically like rowing a single with one other person. So now you have to match, you have to communicate, you have to trust each other. And you're completely dependent on each other to move the boat and you have to work together. There's no other way around it. And I think that's what I love about the pair. I'm sure our audience is wondering, how do you steer these boats? So with just two of you, who's responsible? Well, I have what's called the tow. <laughs> um, and you basically uh, control the rudder of the boat by moving your toe and pointing it in whatever direction you want to go. So. Okay. I have that. So you have to mind your feet and your hands. Yeah. <laughs> and your head. So that's a big responsibility. Is it, how did you choose between the two? Was it did, was it based on training and kind of how you decided where you would sit? Or I feel like if you're just training on a river, usually bow seat has it, um, just because it's easier to like look behind you and everything. But uh, when you're doing like a 2K race on a buoyed course, it's easier for the person in stroke to see the straight line. So mm -hmm. that's why I have it. So when we're on the river, Solvay just tells me where to go and <laughs> I move to the toe. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, maybe thinking about the training, like with you now, you're in a pair, you've decided to come back, you're going to compete again this summer. So what, could you describe the training regimen that, uh, that you follow to, to maintain this type of peak performance to be able to compete against the world's best? Yeah. Um, there's the, the day-to-day -day training that we do every morning from seven to nine 30 with practice as a team. That's usually where we do the hard work on the water, intervals, pieces. And then we come back again in the afternoons and twice a week we lift. 
Um, other afternoons we do cross training and that's usually a little more flexible timing wise based on your job schedules. Um, so that's the day to day schedule. We get Sundays off and then week to week, it varies. You go through medium, hard, hard, and then an easy week. So you have like the cycle that you repeat. Um, and then sometimes in the easy weeks, you also use that as an opportunity to test. So that could be a test week, like testing in the weight room on the erg machine. And then the whole year, um, you want to peak for your races. We start racing usually in March and go all the way till September. Um, and you want to prioritize your races and make sure that you're peaking for the important races. And we usually have a training trip in the winter where we go down to Florida. Mm. That's like the day to day all the way up to big picture. You mentioned in there that you have a job. So how do you do both? I mean, it's one thing to have a full-time training regimen as it relates to, you know, competing against, you know, the world's best in, in rowing, but do you, is it a nine to five? How does it work exactly? How do you do it? I feel like I have like the more typical job that's more nine to five. Um, like I, I'm lucky that I have a hybrid schedule. So Monday, Friday, work from home, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, go into the office. Um, but I do have a lot of open communication with like my manager and other fellow employees on like my goals outside of work and rowing and being able to train at a really high level. So I have been able to get that flexibility with my job that really helps. And just since I have these other high priorities, they respect that, but I am also putting in a lot of work for them. So I feel like I've found that balance just by open communication. And um, sometimes I do have to prioritize work over training, but they also know sometimes I do prioritize training over work. So, and your partner knows that as well. Yeah, <laughs> but um, Soleil has a bit of a different schedule. So, what's your schedule? I have a few part-time jobs. I work for a startup. We're helping clinicians. Uh, there's a really high burnout rate in healthcare right now, and we're helping clinicians. We're coaching them to use the tools that we use as athletes to help take care of themselves. Um, and we show them how to look at their whoop data. We give them a whoop, um, and then we help them with their sleep, with their recovery. Um, breathing tools, things they can do for their body to help prepare. Um, so that's one job. And then I also teach piano lessons to kids, and that's usually in the afternoons. So I um, usually do my wor afternoon workout a little earlier than Lainey. It's between those two jobs. Um, and the way I'd say I balance it is also having priorities and knowing what your priorities are and verbalizing those to the people you work for so that they know like what your time commitments are and that you're also doing things outside of work. So communication in and out of the boat is yeah. really important. Yeah. Would you say that's the most important component of the relationship that you guys have in the boat? Having seen video of you rowing, I don't see you speaking to each other. So where does the communication actually happen? I would say um, we both don't use a lot of words. So there's a lot of um, communication that happens when we're not saying anything. But I think that's a strength in our partnership because when we do say something, we know it's important. We've both thought about it and we're only going to verbalize something if we really need it. And that goes um, any basic communications to like training, logistics, all the basic needs, but also personal communication when you need something in the boat or outside of the boat. Um, being able to verbalize that to the other person and then them knowing, OK, this is important. They need my help or I need to support them. Um, so I feel like we have a very efficient and uh, proactive communication with each other that's wonderful i remember last year you had said that you prefer coaches that don't say much yeah <laughs> that's still the case and might be the case with your partner as well in the boat <laughs> that's good yeah i think less is more particularly with coaching you know sometimes you can over communicate things and things get lost in translation yeah 
That's great. Um, could you share? I'm just curious. I, I didn't ask you this last time because you've, you've both rode now for several years and you, I'm sure you've had a lot of very successful moments, but what have been some of the more memorable ones for you that have really stood out and that you kind of take with you when you get in the boat, you maybe want to replicate that feeling again? One moment that stands out for me is definitely when I was, uh, 2015, I think it was, I was training with the HP team at Vesper. Um, and I, I was actually one of the slowest three people on the team. So I got cut from the team um, and I was told not to show up at practice, basically that I was done. <laughs> um, and that, that was hard for me because I'd moved here to train and to have someone else tell you, like make that decision for you. Mm -hmm. um, but it forced me to sit down and think about why I was training. And I just kept showing up to practice. <laughs> um, but that really helped me realize that it's important to one, take time to think about and reflect on why you're doing it. Because then finding that why gets you through the hard times. And then two, it's also important to show up consistently for the things that are important to you. Once you've decided what that is, just keep showing up for yourself and your teammates. Um, and it's also allowed me to not let other people make decisions for me, big decisions like that. So I think that moment really shaped the way that I train and the way that I um, encounter obstacles. How about you, Lainey? I feel like this is a different one than I usually say, but uh, I think in 2019, I'd gone to like a selection camp for the light quad and like not having, I'm being, that was my first time like truly training at an elite level, lots of minutes and meters, um, constantly doing like seat racing every day and having to perform and then coming out of that, not making the boat. Um, and going to trials, they split you up into the smaller boats that go to trials and are selected through a race. Um, and being able to like bond with that person that I was matched up with, Sophia Lewis, she'll also be going to the world champs this year. But um, coming off of that, still not winning trials, and but being able to make the most out of that summer, being able to train with her, work more together, uh, we ended up going to Canadian Henley and like winning the U23 light double and the senior light quad. And that was like really exciting to still have all of that training be put into something and still being able to make something out of it, even though having so many setbacks. I feel like that was the first time where I truly had a hard time in rowing, but still being able to like come out on the other side, take a step back, think about it and um, still have fun. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It sounds like a combination of setbacks and balance. So you're balancing, you know, the work-life balance, you're balancing in the boat while you're going backwards. <laughs> so, um, I'm just curious from, from a, from a mental health perspective, how do you mentally prepare for the training? How do you mentally pre prepare for, you know, the time that you have to put into the boat? Basically just been a journey of figuring out what works for me and then trusting yourself that you know yourself the best and having your priorities figured out. Uh, for me, for instance, it's nutrition, sleep, training, family, and then work in that order. So those are always my priorities. Um, and when I do that right, then I feel prepared. Um, and I've had to tell my family like they're not number one priority <laughs> on the list. And that was hard to say, but now that they know that it's easier for them to know, okay, she, when she's around us, she still has to get to bed at nine because that's her priority. So mm -hmm. once you start to know your priorities and then verbalize those to the people around you, they usually understand. Um, and if they don't, then maybe you're not around the right people. <laughs> but I think verbalizing those priorities um, 
is a big part of being able to prepare for what you want to do. Again, communication mm-hmm. and setting boundaries too. That's mm-hmm. tough, mm-hmm. especially with family. Yeah. Yeah. My family runs right through those boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great though. How about for you? I feel like, well, definitely boundaries, but for me with that, like just having a set schedule, um, you're always going to have your priorities, but figuring out just like the timing of everything and being able to still fit everything in of like, I work and practice, but then I'm also going to go to bed at eight, eight, eight or eight 30. I'm, this is my set down time. I wake up a little extra early to have my set down time. Um, so yeah, I think just like having a schedule helps me recover in all the ways and just being able to piece everything together. How does mindfulness play into the overall training program? Do you set a certain amount of time aside, you know, for um, some type of mindfulness practice? I think it sort of depends. I guess I'm not one to, I feel like meditation comes to mind for me when I think of mindfulness. Um, but I think more just activities of like, like I crochet a lot. I feel like that's my mindfulness activity. It's just something completely different. It's not work. It's not rowing. It's not thinking about going to buy groceries or like bills or anything. It's just like, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to crochet. That's my mindfulness. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that in itself is meditative. How about for you? Yeah, I've never done much with uh, meditation either, but um, I think of activities that charge me um as being mindful like i like to paint i'm a very creative person even just spending time alone or reading a book those are things that i do to recharge when i feel exhausted and then being around people usually drains me a little more so i'm just curious so you have had some setbacks you've had some losses so as you think about um how they've contributed to your growth as an athlete what have been some of the lessons that you've taken from those you mentioned a few but maybe laney as you've kind of had those tougher losses in your career what did you what did you learn from them I, I ask because it's usually the first thing our audience at says, you know, which is that's great. They're doing wonderfully. But, you know, when did they fail? <laughs> because I'm struggling with something now. So it would be good to hear. I think from all of us, you know, it's it's nice to see how successful you've been. But we all know that it's, you know, it's the setbacks that ultimately get us to where we are. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to sound cliche, but in the moment, like everything could be crashing down. And you're like, I just don't know how I'm going to fix this. But like. Then I look back like a month or two or like it's a month or two later and I look back and I'm like, everything was fine. I don't know why I worried about that so much (laughs) or like, um, I guess for me in the moment, not, it's almost like not overthinking and overdoing. I'm almost, when things start to fall down, I'm almost being like too proactive instead of like taking a second to think about what needs to be done. I feel like especially last year when we, um, we're dealing with things like with our old club and not having a coach for a while and feeling very frantic about the next step and not just like taking a second for ourselves. Yeah. I don't want that to sound cliche, but no, it doesn't at all. And I think that's a big part of it is taking time for yourself. It goes back to the prioritization and you know, sometimes that the world is falling around out part around you and things are okay for you generally speaking, but you kind of have to wait until the other pieces fall into place. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) Well, also too, you have to adapt to different things, right? So you have to adapt to a coaching change. You have to adapt to a boat change, but you have to adapt to the water as well. So I'm just so curious, uh, how do you adapt your rowing technique uh, to different water conditions during races? Oh, gosh. oh, during races. Yeah. Well, during, well, even, <laughs> yeah. well, truthfully, during any time. Uh, for our audience who's in and around the greater Philadelphia area, we're all very familiar with the Schuylkill River. <laughs> it's also very, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
precarious for a lot of, I've been in it as a rower myself, so <laughs> not the place I'd like to be. So I'm just curious how you, how you do figure that out. I feel like we have set things we think about when like the water changes, like headwind generically, just like swinging more together, thinking about setting up when you're in a tailwind, pulling the boat underneath of you, making it sure it still feels light and going quick with the water. But um, I think the biggest thing is making sure you're both thinking about the same thing and doing it together um, and not just being super individualized. Like Sylvia can go into like, she usually makes like the calls and really gets us on the same page. So that really helps me, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, this morning, for instance, we were out there, we did three by 2K. And I think it was like the second piece. We had like four different wins throughout the piece. Really? So the conditions can change quickly. And that's a nice analogy for life. Things can just change all of a sudden. Um, and since I'm in bow making the calls, I feel like it's my job to take in all that information. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm a computer back there taking <laughs> all the, everything I see and feel, putting it into this huge complex formula and then just spitting out one word. And Lainey knows exactly what that word means. Like, for instance, when it gets windy, I say swing because usually when it's windy, you swing less. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving her one word and one thing that we can focus on that we know we both have control over because everything else is chaotic and it forces us to focus on the same thing. And then it also makes us faster. So it's always very clear and proactive communication. And it's always focused on one controllable, um, especially as things get chaotic. Because it just gives you a little bit of control um, and it takes the attention away from everything else. That's amazing that you've boiled all that down to one word. Yeah. <laughs> Did it come naturally? This is why we practice every day, just to work on these things. You try different things, you see what works, you talk about it. So you need that open communication and you need time to fail and just learn. Sasha, what's our word? <laughs> Microphone, I don't know. Microphone, I don't know. Something <laughs> We'll have to come up with a word. We're doing okay, but that's really impressive. So I, I, you've got that communication. So what are some of the, um, you, you had mentioned the, the communication before you even get out of the, in the boat. So as you kind of approach to dock, the dock, what are some of those pre-race, pre-workout routines that are important to you both? I feel like on race day, we just repeat everything that we do during practice. And that's why we practice so much so that when you show up on race day, there's nothing new. You don't want to try new things on race day. You just want to repeat what, you, what you're familiar with. And I'd say the difference between practice and racing is that in practice, you have that time and that space to try things and you can fail and you figure out what works. And then on race day, you just repeat what you know works. Like maybe don't try octopus for breakfast if you've never had <laughs> octopus before. Keep that for the practice time. But we just repeat things on race day that we've done before. Um, so it's basically the same ritual as practice. We show up however often... We, however early we need to be ready for practice time. Um, sometimes that's different times for both of us based on what we need individually, but we're always ready to go at uh, on time. And we put on our sunglasses. I feel <laughs> like that's part of our routine. We have matching sunglasses that we put on. We grab our snacks. We have these little honey stinger waffle snacks that we take in the oh, boat sure. with us. Yeah. Um, and then fill our water bottles. And once we have those three things, we know we're good to go. You're ready and to then go. we launch. Yeah. yeah that's great. How about <laughs> yeah. for you? Sam? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we have the same routine as yeah. for practice. Do you guys spend a lot of time out, outside of the boat together? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're buying these snacks together? Yeah. <laughs> that's what we do on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Target for waffle snacks. That's yeah. good. It's really interesting, right? Because there's so much discipline involved. I mean, I, I rode in college and it was cold. I was in Vermont. We talked about this. You know, we're breaking you know, ice patches on the river and it's, you lose a lot of people your first year, but you've kept going. So 
how do you how do you do that part of it? My morning routine, I wake up and I wake up extra early because I do like to have like that time to not feel rushed because I feel like once I'm out the door, it's like, bam, 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 I'm going to work and then going back to practice and then back home to like reset for my next day. So I definitely take my morning to make my latte, make my oatmeal, sit down, I'll crochet or read, and then um, I'll pack my bag with the things that I already prepared for the night before. And then I get to practice like 15 minutes before we're meet, supposed to meet just so I have that time to grab my honey stinger waffle, my water <laughs> bottle, sit there for a second and contemplate the workout. And then, yeah, we get in the boat. I feel like we actually also usually have like a quick conversation of just like, today I really want to do, do this. Or yesterday I really like that. Let's do that again. Are you reading anything fun right now? Oh, I just finished before the coffee gets cold okay how was that that was really good um i think it's it was like a playwright that was translated from japanese it's about um this coffee shop that can send you back in time but you can you can't leave the seat when you're back in time uh you can only go back once and you can only meet people that have gone to the coffee shop Oh, that's fun. Yeah, and you have to drink the coffee before it gets cold. Otherwise, you're stuck. I love those Japanese yeah. like speculative fiction books. Yeah. Yeah, because they're always so th- weird yeah. but interesting. <laughs> yeah, it definitely made me think just like the reasons for going back in time and like, oh, also going back in time, you can't change the future. Oh. So like, why would you? And it makes you like think about those situations of like what would make you feel better about going back in time yeah. and everything. Well, if you could go back in time. Gosh. There you go. Thank you for the segue. Oh. So if you, if you could go back in time and you were talking to yourself, what advice would you give somebody getting into rowing? Because I think it's a, sport, it's a sport that's intimidating for a lot of reasons, not just the time you wake up. But if you are um, an aspiring rower or somebody who's thinking about the sport, whether you're in high school or you know, someone my age, I, I just got back into it after many years. Uh, you know, what advice would you give yourself? Maybe don't let anyone tell you no, or like, don't take the rejection personally mm-hmm. and keep stretching because I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> so stretching has been key for you. Yes. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> um, I would say definitely spend time in small boats cause that gives you direct and honest feedback very quickly. You get a good sense of boat feel. Um, and then figure out why you're doing it for yourself, not for what other people are telling you because that makes it easier to show up every day. Um, and also always keep that novice mindset that you're learning every day because you're never going to know everything. Just keep being open to learning. Yeah, I'm just curious. When people learn to row, however, do they typically start in the bigger boats? Like I've, I see that with some of the boathouses, and I know at least as a novice way back when, you know, you start in the eight and then maybe you go to the four and yeah. then maybe you go to the two. But do you think it's better to go the opposite, start small? And then yeah, get big? for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. The single gives you the feedback that you don't want. It does. <laughs> yeah. So does the river. <laughs> That's a good point. So I'm just curious in terms of the sport overall. Salve has been in the sport a little bit longer. I'm just, what changes have you seen in the sport you know, over the last 10 years as you think about your own career? Have you seen more people coming to the sport? Have you seen competition change? Or the level of competition change in any way? I think they just finally equalized the number of women's and men's events at the Olympics. Maybe like just what, did five, that. Year, five that, years ago wow. or something. Yeah. It was pretty recently that they, it's now equal spots for men and women. Wow. It's definitely overdue. <laughs> um, and there's still a lot of changes that need to happen. I mean, if you look around here, 
all the pictures on the walls, it's mostly men. It's definitely a male-dominated sport. Um, and we're two women training in a men's world. Um, and that's not always easy. Um, but I think it's just taught us to take ownership and speak up more, which people don't always like. But I think it's made us stronger as a pair. And it's just how, how we train now every day. Uh, it's interesting. I think I had read a statistic that showed that the, the fastest growing segment of rowers, you know, some, you know, people who are doing it recreationally are women over 45 years old. So you're getting more women who are coming down to the rivers and, you know, starting to get involved in rowing as a sport. I think there's lots of reasons for that. Either there's a good book that comes out, it gets people mm -hmm. motivated. Like Lessons in Chemistry is the one I could think of right now, if you've read that one, um, or Boys in the Boat, which is more men, but still people get inspired mm -hmm. by that. So that's great. So my last question is, what, is, what does it mean to be a member of the U.S. women's rowing pair to you? Um, it's definitely an honor to represent the U.S. at the international level. Uh, for me, I've been working hard for this um, and just to make the team twice in two years uh, feels special. Um, and having Lainey in the boat with me, um, I see how hard she works too. Um, it's like the whipped cream on top. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Did you think you'd be described as the whipped cream today? Oh, I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's good. What does it mean for you? I guess it means a lot. Like I think back to even in like high school or beginning of college when it's just like you see those names or you follow those people. Um, even I just think of like Michelle Sexer um, and like being a U23 and racing uh, at Vesper um, and then now being like, I'm on the national team and then she is and then all these other people that I followed. So I don't know. I feel like in a way it's like, oh, yeah, I made the national team. I get to race again, but I have to take. For me, I do have to take a step back and be like, wow, that's really cool. Like I did that. Congratulations. Well, I would uh, want to say before we end it, we talked about kind of joking. You do have full-time jobs. One of the reasons you have full-time jobs is because you don't get paid to row. You actually have to pay to row. That was your quote from last year. So uh, I would want to let people know that you guys and your club is going to be raising funds, correct, for the world's? Great. And they can do that through the website. It's uh, penac, P-E-N-N, penac.org. And if you go to the fundraising tab, you can click that and you can raise some money for you guys. I Thank think you, you said $15,000 is the goal? Yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll put that target on our website and everywhere we can to hope, hopefully help you along. Thank so, you. <laughs> Salve, Lainey, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being on the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, again, if you want to watch this episode or past episodes, please check out our website at 12poundpodcast.com uh, where you can find this wonderful conversation with Salve and Lainey. We wish them the best of luck and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>